Amen. So good to see you here this morning. Merry Christmas to everyone. And every seven or eight years, however it falls out with the leap years, we have Christmas on Sundays. <clears throat> Personally, I love it. Uh, uh, nothing, there's no higher purpose. There's nothing we'd rather be doing that I would rather be doing than with God's people in his house on the day that we celebrate his birth. Is it actually the day of his birth, December 25th? Probably not. It's okay. From the pureness of our hearts, we're offering it up as a day that we celebrate specifically the birth of, birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We had a wonderful uh, candlelight uh, New Year, uh, Christmas Eve service last night, and I'm very thankful for those that are able to come. It's a special time as well. But we are here uh, to worship the Lord and to celebrate that light that's come into the world. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. You know, last week, it's funny, we, uh, the Lord gave me the, a sermon on the second coming of the Lord uh, before the first coming, which is today, but that's how the Lord gave it to me. So we had a wonderful service talking about the Lord's coming again, He's coming again to reign, He's coming again uh, in power and in glory, amen, and those that He've redeemed will be coming with Him back at that time. But here we're celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that light has come into the world. Amen. Men love darkness rather than light, the Bible says. I want you to read with me in John chapter 1. Uh, John, more than any of the other gospels, gospel writers, spoke about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, lifted him up as God, God in the flesh. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and so forth. All these, <clears throat> these scriptures in John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 9. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. At Christmas, we, we, uh, we get enjoyment out of looking at Christmas lights, decorating and, and setting up things, and looking at the lights. And it's a time... Uh, where we, th we think about that, <clears throat> excuse me, but, and we enjoy that, but the true light is Jesus Christ who came into the world to be the Savior of the world. The whole world uh, was lying in darkness until Christ came, a spiritual darkness, and that was the true life that lighteth, light that lighteth every man that come, cometh into the world. When the Bible says in him was life, and the life was the light of man, that's kind of a strange saying, in him was life, and, it, and that life was the light of men. It is the light that lightens us and opens our eyes. He is that one that brings us into a relationship with God the Father through himself. And we don't have life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Men that are living outside of Jesus Christ are actually spiritually dead. They're dead in their sins and trespasses, and we were too before we came to Christ, right? Ye hath he quickened who were dead in sins and trespasses. And we know that, that God gives every man life, a physical life. The Bible says in the Garden of Eden when he created Adam, he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. But still, because of the sin and the fall of sin, that we're all descendants of Adam, the whole world is in darkness, in spiritual darkness, in separation from God. And the wrath of God actually abides upon men outside of Christ. They're dead. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. So in, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
And I thank God that he came to be that. Then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk, walk in what? In darkness, but have the light of life. And there it is again, light and life going together. And we see it all through the Bible, and we understand it spiritually that light and life go together as death and darkness go together. Christ is the light of the world. Light and life. Light and life go together as sin and darkness and death go together. Amen. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I have a lot of scriptures this morning, y'all. There's so many scriptures that talk about Jesus' first coming. We're not looking at every one, but we're going to look at quite a few, especially when it focuses upon Jesus being the light of the world. He said this in John chapter 12, I am come a light into the world. That whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. I've come a light into the world that whoever believes. It's all about faith. The just shall live by faith. We're born again by faith. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and that Jesus is Lord. Amen. And so he's come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. People that are lost, it's not a criticism. It's just a reality. We were lost once at, at one point too. We were lost and didn't know the Lord. But people that are in, in, outside of Christ are walking in darkness. They're groping. They're stumbling. They're grasping for things. They're hoping and wishing. And, and, and they're just abiding in darkness and don't understand. But the light has come, and he has manifested himself perfectly in, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so if any man, when it says that is the true life, light that lighteth every man that comes into the world. Think about that. I don't even know that I fully comprehend it all myself, but that is the true light, Jesus Christ, that lights every man that comes into the world. If a man is going to be lighted, so to speak, or lit, if you want to call it that, it's going to be through Jesus Christ. It's not going to come some other way. It's not going to be by chasing a you know, some Eastern meditation or something like that. I'm going to be enlightened. I'm trying to self-realization or whatever it may be. And people try different things and techniques to some higher plane they think of living. If we're going to be enlightened, it is going to be by Christ. It's going to be by faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. That is the true light that lighteth every man that comes into the world. There is no lighting, so to speak, apart from that. That word light, that's the true light that lighteth every man. That means to shed rays, to enlighten, to brighten up, to make to see. Amen? If you're going to be made to see, you try to shake some sense into somebody, now we're saved and we're talking to people that don't know the Lord and we love them and we want them to be saved. We're trying to shake some sense into them. You can't shake it into them. God has to reveal himself to them. He, he will. He will. And if, we, if that individual will, will respond to the light that's given them, he'll give more light very quickly. And bring them where he needs them to be, to repentance and salvation through faith in Jesus. But um, whatever makes manifest, it says in Ephesians, is light. John the Baptist was sent. He was not that light. People even question and ask him, are you that one? Are you that prophet? There was a prophet, Jesus, that was prophesied, a Messiah, way back in the Old Testament from Genesis on. And they said, are you that prophet? And he says, I'm not the light. I'm the one who's sent to bear witness of the light. It's Christ. It's Christ. All the focus has to be upon the Lord. I know I've talked about this before that in a, in a book that I was reading called The School of Christ by T. Austin Sparks, and I've read it several times in my life, 
very deep, very wonderful. And it talks about uh, when there's a state of declension, as he, as he puts it, when in the morally, spiritually, within the church, this, where things are declining and, and, and there's sin. And even in, within the church, and there's things taking a different course or moving off into false doctrines or a weakness in the church or something like that. He says that the, the solution to that is to put Christ back on his throne. Put him back where he belongs and every eye be focused and everything be done for him and for his glory and according to his will. If he be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto himself. And so he is the light of that world. It has to be upon him. It's not good people. It's not good Christians. He calls us the light of the world and the salt of the earth, but it's only because he has lit, enlightened us. Amen. Saved us by his grace and actually dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. And so the light of the world has come. And the whole, we, we were sometimes darkness, but now we're light in the Lord, the Bible says. Walk as children of light. There's so many scriptures, y'all, that, that talk about this. Peter says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, right? Holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises we should of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God. I want to read this from Isaiah 49. It's a messianic prophecy. The Lord says, I will, give, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Isaiah 63 says, And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to thy brightness of thy rising. You know, uh, Alberto when we were, when we were, he, he said a prayer and read the scripture from Luke today. That scripture was about Simeon. Simeon was a, a just man and devout, like like uh, Alberto shared when he read. He was a just man and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He had this longing. He had this hope. He had this expectation. He had the prophecies, and he knew that God was going to send the Savior of the world. And so many people were not waiting. They were living at that time, but they weren't waiting or expecting a Messiah to come, even though he was very distinctly prophesied through the years that he would come. But as he was a just man and devout, it was shown him that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. And so he, the Holy Spirit actually led him to the temple at this moment. It's just the Lord, right, that would do something like this. Leads him to the temple at the same moment that Jesus is eight days old and his mother and Joseph are bringing him into the temple to do after the custom of the law for him to be circumcised. At that exact moment, he, he walking in, sees the Lord, this little baby, that's the Lord. This is the Lord. He picks him up in his hands and he offers, he gives this prophecy and he says this, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He's the Savior not only of Israel, but of the whole world. He's a light to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And so we can't make too much about Jesus' first coming. We can't overdo it. We're going on too much about it. We can't. It's the most significant event that this world's ever experienced and the most needful thing that we could ever have is to have a savior come to save us from our sin but the long-awaited messiah has come the savior of the world has come the scripture has been up here last night and today on the overhead when the angels came to the shepherds they said uh 
uh, that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior, Christ the Lord. We're here to worship him this morning. He's come to save men from their sin. That's why he came the first time. He's still looking to seek and save the lost. That is an ongoing work. And the only reason the Lord hasn't raptured his church and come the second time at the end of the tribulation is because he's long willing, long, long patience and suffering, not willing that any perish. He's willing for all men to be saved. That's why he came the first time. He came meek and lowly, and we are to rejoice. These songs we sing, these Christmas hymns like Hark the Herald Angel and so forth, they, they, it's, to, it's rejoicing in our hearts. Don't just say it's old-timey songs or old-fashioned. Listen to the words. They're honoring to God. It's a rejoicing. Zechariah 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. The, the, the instruction is to rejoice greatly because your king has come. And he's come, he's just, and he has salvation. So we need to go to him, amen? He came to bear our sins, and he came to bear our sins in his own holy, sinless body on the cross that we might have the gift of eternal life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Amen? He came for that purpose. Praise God. And the only proper response for us is to rejoice. Amen? To, to come to him, to bow before him and worship him. Give yourself to him. If you have not, give yourself to Christ the Lord. If you have and you're born again, give yourself fresh and anew today. As a living sacrifice, present yourself unto the Lord. Amen? He is, he is the Savior of the world, and there's none beside him. When the, when the angels appeared to the shepherds on the hillsides of Judea, outside of Bethlehem, that night that Jesus was born, it came to pass as the angels were going away, they delivered their message, They've gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, this is uninteresting to us. We, we don't really care about that. Is that what the, angel, the shepherds said? They said, let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. In other words, the, this greatest news that ever could be reported was reported to them in a glorious manner that it was done and, and they responded. The response was, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to go to that light. I'm going to go to Christ. I'm going to worship him. These, uh, the wise men, and this is, scholars say, probably about two years later. You know, always at Christmas scenes and at manger scenes, we, have, we put the wise men and the shepherds together. They really weren't probably there at the same time. Uh, the, the wise men came a couple of years later when, when Jesus was a child. But the wise men came from the east. And it says when they saw the star, they rejoiced. When, it wasn't like they saw the star and they said, hmm. They, they were following this star. This, this was, they, they read prophecies about the coming Messiah. And in Numbers speaks about he would have this star that would, would represent him and, and be a signal or a sign and they're following this star, and, and it, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They're about to pop. They're so excited and joyful. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. Again, the only proper response. They rejoiced. They came to him. They fell down. They worshiped him. They presented gifts to him. Amen. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And the light of the world has come, and the only response that honors God is that, coming to him, rejoicing him, falling before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the only, only response, I would say, that benefits man is going to be that response. There are other responses that people give to the coming of the, of the Lord and to Christ, but it's the only response that brings us into a right relationship with God Almighty, that saves us from our sins, that gives to men eternal life. True belief in God and true belief in His Son. Amen. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 18, at the beginning of that verse, He that believeth is not condemned. Isn't that a wonderful? Just believe. That's all I have to do is believe. I believe. I believe. Like the, the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, he goes, here's, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may be. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They jumped down out of that chariot and he was baptized. We just believe. And, and we pass from death to life. He that believeth is not condemned. Amen. There's this gift of eternal life that God gives. I want to talk about just for a moment here this morning about uh, responses, the responses that, that people give to Christ. We looked at the wise men. We looked at the shepherds. They rejoiced. They came. They worshiped. Let's go see. And they went and presented gifts and fell before the Lord, both of them, at different times. But there are other responses that men give to the coming of Christ and we see them all around us. These are in no particular order, but I just want to list some here. We see indifference. Just indifference. It matters not to them that the Savior of the world has come. It, their, their team's playing on TV right now. That's all they care about. You know, they're hoping to get a raise, get a promotion, whatever. Just something, something uh, carnal, something temporal, something that's going to pass. Don't bother me with that stuff. But the light of the world has come. Wake up. Wake up. The light of the world has come. And he's still here today. And he's still desiring for men to be saved. And he still is going to save men. He still is saving men right up until the time he comes back again. Amen? But there's indifference. I think about when the wise men did come. Where did they come? They came from the east. They had probably a big caravan with them. They had gifts. They had people with them. And they're passing through town, and Herod hears about this, and he says, these wise men are here. So he calls the chief priest and the scribes, and he says, there's some people in here, in Beth, you know, in Judea, looking for this long-awaited Messiah, the king of the Jews. Uh, where, where, is it that, where is it that he should be born? And they knew the scriptures perfectly, in Bethlehem, and they quote it, in Bethlehem. And they quote it, but they didn't have any desire to go look themselves. If I would have, I say I would have done this, I pray I would have done this, that if that news had come to me, there are wise people following the prophecies, and they're here in Judea, and they're saying that they're following a star, that the Messiah has come. Where is he going to be born? He's going to be born right out, out the outskirts here in Bethlehem. They didn't go look themselves, though. You see my point? They were uninterested. The wise men traveled for maybe years, possibly, it's believed, and came and fell and worshipped him. The same people right there locally had, were totally indifferent to him, indifferent to his coming. The light of the world has come. They weren't interested. 
They did hardness of heart, unbelief, and so forth, but indifferent. We see it all around us. Curiosity. Here's another response to the coming of the, the Savior of the world and the light of the world. They're curious. They might want to go check it out, but they have no real desire to believe. You know, there's a, it's no desire to believe. Remember when the, uh, when the, the, the people of Athens, they, they heard Paul speaking and disputing in the marketplaces about Jesus Christ, and he died and he rose again. And they grabbed him, they brought him to Mars Hill, and they said, what would this babbler say? Now all they want to do is hear a new little story, but there was no real desire. It was just a curiosity. Even Herod, King Herod, who imprisoned John the Baptist and had him beheaded, he had heard about Jesus and desired to see him, the Bible says, because he hoped to see some miracle done of his hands. Do a trick for me. Let me see you walk on water. Let me see you levitate off the ground, right? Just a curiosity, but no belief. No belief or trust in the Lord. No humility, right? No adoration to God. Another response, and to me, this could almost be one of the worst, to lightly esteem the Lord. Do you know what I'm talking about? People lightly esteem the Lord. They give him some kind of lip service. He has some kind of place of respect in their theology, in their life, in their philosophy of life. I'll give you an example of Islam. In Islam, Jesus is not God's son. God has no sons, according to the Quran, according to Islam. In Islam, they have a respect for Jesus. They throw him in there with Abraham and, and, and some of the other prophets, okay? They throw him in there, and he's just in the mix somewhere. He's a good man. We respect him. We, we think highly of Jesus, too. He didn't come that we would think highly of him. He came that we'd fall on our face before him and be born again and give our life to Christ and worship him as Lord and Lord only. Even John the Beloved fell at the feet of angels. and It says in Revelation, they said, see thou do it not. I'm, I'm just one of the servants like you. Worship God. Worship the Lord. Worship Christ. Don't just throw some kind of lip service to him. Oh, he's a good man. Have you heard it before? He was a good teacher. I respect him. It's fine if you want to believe in him. But, I, you know, other religions have their own beliefs. And they just sort of put some patronizing little label on him. He's not going to be patronized like that. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's God's only son. He's the long-awaited Messiah. Even John the Baptist said, it's not me. I'm just a light. I'm one sent to bear witness of the light. I'm not that light. And so we hear that he's a good man and so forth, and yet they don't put him as Lord. If he's not Lord, then he's nothing. Don't, don't patronize him, and don't try to patronize me when I'm sharing the gospel with you, saying, well, I have respect for Jesus. He was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was those things, but he's far more. Amen? He's God incarnate in the flesh. Another response, and all these kind of, to me, all, all go together. There's unbelief, just straight-up unbelief. We refuse to believe. Um, when Jesus went back to Nazareth, you know, he was in his public ministry, and he went back to basically his hometown where he grew up. And in Nazareth, the Bible says he couldn't do many miracles there. Why? He lost some power? He couldn't do it because of their unbelief. He actually marveled at their unbelief. They said, isn't this 
isn't this Joseph the carpenter's son and Mary's his mother? We know his brothers and sisters, and they live here. And uh, where did he get this power from and authority? And the Bible says they were offended at him. And he actually marveled at their unbelief. Marveled at their unbelief. I, say, I know I've said it before that there's only two places in Scripture are two things that Jesus marveled at. Think about it. The God, God of all creation is marveling at something. He marveled at the, at the centurion's faith when he says, just speak the word only. You don't even have to come to my house. Just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled at his faith and said, let it be done unto you even as you believed. And when we got home, the servant was healed at the same time Jesus had told him that. He marveled at his faith. He says, I haven't seen such great faith. No, not in Israel. And you know what else he marveled at? He marveled at the unbelief of those in his hometown. He marveled at it. Unbelief. There's no excuse to not believe. There's no excuse to not believe. God has done everything to clearly uh, display and manifest himself to people. I was lost. I, was, I would have been one that if the preacher was preaching this, you know, so many years ago, that would have been me. Praise God, he, he brings us. I want to encourage you today, if you don't know the Lord, and I know most of you here, and I know most of you do, but if you don't know the Lord, don't, don't hesitate, don't wait. God has clearly presented himself to us in scriptures. He has laid himself out there, and you say, well, I, I just can't believe, or I, I don't have the faith to believe. If you would just just respond to the light that's shown you, that's been given you. Just from the scriptures, for example, just from this message this morning where we've read the scriptures, God will quickly give you more light. He's like he's shining a bright light here. If I'll come to that, then I'll be walking in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We don't have to live in unbelief and we don't, certainly don't have to die in unbelief. Amen. There's not a person on this planet that cannot be saved that Jesus didn't die for. We have a free choice, and we can turn our life to Christ or not. Last response to the coming of the Lord would just be outright hatred. You say, well, nobody hates the Lord. Yes, people, there are people that hate the Lord. They want nothing to do with a scorn and a hatred. You know what Jesus said in John 7, 7? The world cannot hate you, but it hateth me. He said that. The world cannot hate you, but it hateth me, because I testify of it that its works thereof are evil. He actually came and testified to the wickedness of men's works. Now, he also offered mercy and grace and salvation and the gift of eternal life, right? But he says the world can't hate you, but it, can, it already hates me, because I testify that its deeds are evil. But the only, as I said a moment ago, the only proper response to the coming of the Savior of the world, to the coming of the light, Jesus Christ, is to fall on our face before God, to believe him, to come to him, to worship him, to surrender to him, to come before the Lord and surrender all to him. You know, there was a demon-possessed man, very famous. We read about him in, in Mark. We read about him. He was lived in the tombstones, right, in Gadara. And Jesus goes over there, and it says, when he saw him, when he saw the Lord, it says he came and worshipped him. He came and fell at his feet and worshipped him. It's demon-possessed man. It can be done, amen? People can be saved. People can come out of their sin. There were, you, couldn't, you could hardly think of a worse sinner than this man. He, he was demon-possessed with the legions of demons. 
they tried to chain him up like an animal because he struck terror into everybody. And he was so strong, he broke the chains like they were nothing. This isn't a fairy tale. This was a real person. You think he was happy in his sin? You think he was happy living naked in the tombs among the dead? No, he was not. He was miserable. He was miserable. He saw the Lord come and he ran to him and fell at his feet and fell like those wise men and like the shepherds and fell at the feet of Jesus and worshiped him. And the next scene we see of this man, he's clothed and in his right mind. Hallelujah. He's clothed and in his right mind. He's born again. He's saved. He's believed, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to go with the Lord. Let, Lord, let me go with you now. He says, no, I want you to go back to your hometown. All those people that saw you and tried to chain you up, I want you to go back home and I want you to tell them what compassion God has had on you and the great things God's done for you. And that's what God sent him to do. I want you to read in your Bibles. Turn with me if you would. We in a lot of scriptures from John. Turn to John chapter 3. So he's having his, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus who came to him privately by night. He talked about, for God so loved the world. He talked about, you must be born again. I want you to pick up in verse 19, John 3, 19. And this is the condemnation of darkness, that light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So what is he saying here? Jesus is saying light has come. Light has come, but some men, not all men, but some men loved darkness rather than light. Men loved darkness rather than light. Amen. Can you imagine, what is it simply saying that Jesus is saying they, they love their sin? Remember sin and darkness and death, they go together. You know people like this. Maybe we were like this before we came to the Lord, that we literally loved our sin. There are men that love their sin, or women and people. They love their sinful lifestyle, and they spend their life pursuing the pleasures of sin. Well, you're a preacher. You're not supposed to say that, that, you know, sin has pleasure. Well, the Bible says in Hebrews, there is a pleasure of sin. It's for a season. Season is just a season, right? It's just a little while. It doesn't last. Moses refused that. He wanted to suffer with the people of God because he knew the reward that God was going to give, and he had respect for that. Amen? But the point is, there is a pleasure to sin. You know, I teach this Bible study at Parkview Baptist still, I think, I don't know how many years I've been doing it, but on Wednesdays, and I'm very thankful for that opportunity. I share the gospel with these boys. People love sin. I mean, they're, they're kids. They're high schoolers. They're, well, they're kids. They're just sowing wild oats and so forth. They're, they're sinners. <laughs> they need to be born again. Amen? And some have, and some have given their lives to the Lord. But the point is that there are people that just love their sin, and they're deceived. There's a deceitfulness of sin. And they think they just want to go from one pleasurable, sinful pleasure to another. That this is life. And they're just going to get bigger and better as I go through life. But we don't know. Like the Lord told that rich, uh, young, that rich farmer, you fool. That's what the Lord said to the rich farmer. He says, you're, this night your soul's going to be required of you. You think you're going to eat, drink, and be merry for years to come. This night. 
your soul is going to be required of you. There are people that love sin, and we ought to love the Lord. We were all this way. I'm not pointing to fingers and saying we were all lost before we were saved. But that is the spiritual condition of men right now today without Christ. They would rather seek after sin and the pleasure that it brings them rather than be delivered from their sin and its power and its consequences and condemnation by the light who's come into the world. They choose to reject the Lord. And because they choose to reject the Lord, it it kind of seals their condemnation, right? Apart from Christ, a man is condemned. But in choosing to say, and the light's coming, I don't want the light, then they have no hope. Where are you going to go then? Where are you going to turn if the only Savior of the world is coming and you said, I don't want him? Maybe I'll look for some other. There's not another. There's not another. And so this condemnation is, is upon them. And I want to read, uh, I want you to turn with me and read in your Bibles, John chapter 15. I want to talk about what a man does with Jesus. What do you do with Christ? So I said, do you just esteem him? He's a good man. Do you hate him? Do you ridicule him? Do you say he wasn't real? He's a fairy tale like, you know, something Jack and the Beanstalk or something. What do you do with Jesus Christ? It's everything. And so let's look at John chapter 15. We'll pick up in verse 22. This is a chapter where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branch and you need to abide in me. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. Wow. So he's, he's come as the light of the world. He said some men love darkness rather than light. And he's come into his own and his own received him not. He started first with the Jews. That was proper and that was biblical for him to come first to the Jews and then out from there a light to the Gentiles. But he says if I had not done these miracles which no man ever did, they wouldn't have sin. He's saying that they've been sinless I believe the teaching here uh, and the belief here is that God so clearly manifests himself in the person of Jesus Christ that once he came, people had no excuse to not believe. I believe that's simply what it means, is that he came so clearly, he came so perfectly in incarnate, in the flesh, he came to this earth to be the Lamb of God that take away, takes away the sins of the world. He came to be the propitiation. It's a biblical word, right? Propitiation for the sins of the world. That means an atoning victim. He came to be that victim for the sins of the world. The one final sufficient sacrifice. And he brings salvation to men, all who will believe. But it's so clearly and perfectly. It's like no more veil veiled references, no more types and shadows. You know, we can picture now that we know the Lord and we understand our eyes have been opened, we can look and we can study and see Christ in the tabernacle. We can see Christ in the golden lampstick and in the mercy seat above the altar, above the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and so forth, and the Holy of Holies and the brazen altar and in the blood sacrifices. We can see Christ typified, and he is typified in all those things. 
But when Christ actually came, he was a fulfillment of all those things. There was no more types and shadows and vague references. And so here he comes, and people don't believe. They're indifferent. They're hard-hearted. They're filled with hate, scorn. They love their sin. They love the pleasures of sin. And they're without excuse. That's really what Jesus is saying here. You know, when Jesus was preaching in Caesarea Philippi, and then at the end of the day, he, he's, he's gathered just privately with his disciples, and he says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? I know you all know the passage in Matthew 16. Who do you hear people say that I am? And they answered quickly, well, some say you're John the Baptist. He had already been beheaded. You're like John the Baptist come back from the dead. Some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So he's, that people were literally thought, hey, that must be John the Baptist come back from the dead. This must be Elijah come back. You know, he's taken up in that chariot of fire. This is what people thought. And so Jesus cuts through all that and he says, who do you say that I am? What a person does with Jesus is everything. Peter nailed it, right? Because flesh and blood didn't reveal it to him, but the, his father in heaven, Jesus' father in heaven revealed it to him. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's incomparable to anybody else. That's not a Jeremiah or Elijah or John the Baptist come back from the dead. Or all the best of the prophets all combined. Uh, it's none of those things. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who you are. And the Lord says, Blessed art thou. He nailed it. He nailed it because it's a faith and it's an understanding. And his, his, he was enlightened and he saw it and understood. doesn't mean he was sinless and perfectly, perfect. Okay, It does mean he understood who the Lord was and believed in the Lord. What a person does with Jesus is everything. Who do you say that he is? Is he just your good buddy who kind of helps you through life when you have troubles? Or is he your Lord? Is he your savior? It says in Deuteronomy 30, 20, the Lord is your life. Is he your life? Is he your everything? Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ is far better. But it, his whole life was in Christ Jesus the Lord. But he perfectly came. I'll just read this. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews that in times past, the Lord spoke unto men by the prophets in different ways and and. You know, different times and different ways. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us how? By his son. So all the prophets prophesied about Jesus. But when Jesus came, this is it. He, his first coming. This is the fulfillment of those prophecies. Pay attention. This is him. Okay? That's what he's saying. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. He's come. Colossians 1.19, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead where bodily. There's never been anything like that before. There's never been, you know, Moses part in the Red Sea. He was a man of God that followed the Lord. There are people that serve God and walk with God. But in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's all in Christ. What do we do? Do we esteem him like that? Do we worship him like that? Do we put him up where he belongs like that? And then we lift him up and he says, come unto me. Come unto me. Meet with me. Fellowship with me. 
be with me. He, the Lord's calling us to be him, with him, amen? But that's how we need to esteem him. That's the only proper response that we're to give to the Lord. If God was so perfectly and plainly manifested in Jesus, men are without excuse. Right now, today, men are without excuse. They're without excuse because he has come and made himself known. He says, Jesus said they have no cloak for their sin. That means a, an outward showing or a pretense. No, no covering for their sin. I'm going to close with this this morning. All those that die in their sin, y'all could have been saved. Every single one. Lots of people have died in their sins. They're in hell. Their fate is sealed. They stand condemned before the Lord. And there are people that today that are dying and people are going to die in their sin. But light has come. They could be saved. We need to be telling people about the Lord and telling people about the light. Jesus said, <clears throat> he said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. He's telling this to the Jews. And they are they right here which testify of who? Me. Not Jeremiah, not Elijah, not John the Baptist, not one of the prophets. And I thank God for all those men, okay? But the scriptures testify of Christ. They testify of Christ. He says, and he went on to say, and you will not come to me that you might have life. He's just stating a fact. I'm come, search the scriptures. They all point to me. Here I am. I'm the fulfillment of all those things. It's me. And here I am. The way, the truth, and the life. <clears throat> no man comes to the Father but by me. He says, you won't come to me that you might have life. That means men have a choice, right? But we're not of those. Amen. That Abraham, uh, says in Hebrews that shrink back under perdition. We're not of those that, that love our sin and love the darkness. God, our eyes have been opened. If you're born again, your eyes have been opened. And our only response is to come before the Lord and bow down before him. And to worship the Lord this morning. And to adore the Lord. <clears throat> he says, he that hates the light doesn't come to the light. But he that loves the truth comes to the light. Those wise men, those shepherds, right? The, even the, the demon-possessed man in Gadara, they come to the light. And that's us. We want to be that. That our deeds may be man manifest that they're wrought in God. And I just want you to come this morning. D, you can come. And y'all, we're actually closing with a, a song this morning. But before we do, the altars are open. This is the time we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the only proper response is to come and fall before him, to worship him, to thank him, to love him, to adore him, to serve him, to honor him. And, and <clears throat> I just invite you, and the Lord's inviting you this morning. These altars are open. You come and worship the Lord this morning.